This podcast is supported by Zoll LifeVest. Sudden cardiac death is a leading cause of mortality in low EF patients with heart failure or following a heart attack. Zoll is proud to partner with your care team to pursue better outcomes together. Visit LifeVestResults.com to learn more. Worldwide, cardiovascular disease affects the lives of hundreds of millions. Dedicated cardio nerds everywhere are working hard to fight this global epidemic. These are their stories. Welcome back to another wonderful edition of ACHD Cardio Nerds. Today, we are so excited to be discussing a very important topic, which is the transition of care for patients with congenital heart disease from the pediatric into the adult setting. We have an expert group of not only fellows, but two ACHD attendings to help guide us through this topic. Starting off with our Austin fellow, Dr. Logan Eberly, who is originally born in New Orleans, but raised in Louisville, Kentucky. He attended Duke University for his combined med-peds residency and is now a general cardiology fellow at Emory. And he will be soon joining the BOC or Boston Adult Children's uh, Heart and Pulmonary Hypertension Program to continue his training in ACHD. He notes he's passionate about cardiovascular imaging, cardiobstetric, pulmonary hypertension, medical education, and global health. Logan, do you want to share some of your outside medicine interests with us? Sure. And thank you so much for having me. Outside of work, I like staying active as much as I can. I like to go running and cycling. I also enjoy traveling, reading, cooking, and eating the food afterwards, of course. And then I'll enjoy spending time with my wife and our two dogs. It is my pleasure today to introduce Dr. Peter Ermis, who's the program director of the Adult Congenital Heart Disease Program at Texas Children's Heart Center and assistant professor at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. He earned his medical degree at UT San Antonio and pursued MedPeds at Baylor. He then went on to complete a combined adult cardiovascular and pediatric cardiology fellowship at Texas Children's Hospital and the Texas Heart Institute. Dr. Hermes's interests include optimizing care for adult survivors of chronic childhood diseases, including ACHD patients. He has been instrumental in the creation and opening of an outpatient and inpatient unit designed completely for ACHD patients at Texas Children's Hospital, which opened in 2020. That's amazing. Dr. Grimace, do you have any um, special interests outside of medicine that you want to share with us? No, thank you. Thanks for the, the introduction and, and having me here today. I think at this point, most of my interests revolve around spending some time with my wife and three kids. We have a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old. So in totality, they keep us uh, pretty busy these days. Awesome. Thanks for that. And last but certainly not least, I'm excited to introduce Dr. Scott Cohen, who's also joining us. He's an associate professor as well as the director of the Adult Congenital Heart Disease Program at the Medical College of Wisconsin. He completed residency in MedPeds as well as adult cardiology at the Warren Alpert Medical School of Brown University. He also completed a fellowship in both preventative medicine and ACHD at the VA in Rhode Island and then at the Children's Hospital of Wisconsin, respectively. Dr. Cohen, we'd love to hear about some of your interests outside of medicine as well. Good afternoon, and thanks for the invitation for today. I would echo Dr. Ermis's sentiment that when outside medicine, I have a wife and three children. My wife is a neonatologist, and I'm a 13-year-old, an 11-year-old, and a 4-year-old, so they keep us very busy in terms of doing extracurricular sports and Boy Scouts and all that alike. So that's where I find my, my zen, I think. 
Dr. Cohen, I didn't realize we share one thing in common. My wife is a NICU fellow. And at least so far, the combination of cardiology and NICU seems to be working pretty well. <laughs> and we also have three kids, a three-year-old and two five-month-olds. And we're not there at uh, competitive sports and uh, Boy Scouts just yet, but I see what I have in store for me down the road. Yeah, you'll, you'll get there eventually. And uh, coordinating call schedules, I think, is one of the, the challenges that my wife and I have, but we, we make it work. Yeah, I can certainly relate to that. And I'm sure many people can too who are listening. Well, everyone, thank you so much for joining and enriching the Cardi Nerds ACHD series with your time and insights. But before we dive into this fabulous discussion, let's answer an important question for our audience. Hashtag why ACHD? Now, Logan, you're a general cardiology fellow about to dive into a career of ACHD as you look towards incredible training in Boston. So let me ask you, why ACHD? Well, thanks for asking. I have actually been interested in adult congenital heart disease for some time, and this interest actually played a significant role in my choosing to complete a residency in combined internal medicine and pediatrics, followed by my general cardiology fellowship. And as you mentioned, in July, I'll be starting my adult congenital fellowship, and I'm just thrilled and excited for the opportunity to continue to learn from and care for this amazing patient population. Awesome, Logan. I love that you have an interest in cardioobstetrics. That's actually what drew me to ACHD as well. I've had a long interest in sort of women's health. And I think this transition of care brings up so many issues in that cardioobstetrics realm. So Logan, just to start us off for today, what do you have in store for us in the ACHD Transitions of Care Clinic? Sure. So today we're going to be talking about the very important and often, in my opinion, overlooked topic of transitions in ACHD care from the pediatric to the adult world. To set the stage, Dr. Ermis and Dr. Cohen, could you just comment on the current general climate with regards to transitioning patients from child-centered to adult-centered care, as well as the difficulties that commonly arise during this process, both from the provider and patient perspective? Dr. Hermes, perhaps we can start first with your perspective. Sure, thank you. People have been working hard to address the topic of transition for the past several decades. We continue to struggle today with ensuring proper transition for our ACHD patients. I think one of the biggest reasons for this is that there is no, you know, quote, one-size-fits-all approach that work at every institution. In some places, such as our program at Texas Children's in Houston, the adult congenital heart disease team is still located in a children's hospital, while others, it's on the adult side. Not to mention that many, many patients don't even live near any ACHD center of excellence. Not to mention on top of that, there's less than probably about 500 ACHD board certified cardiologists in the United States, far too few to care for the vast number of patients with congenital heart disease living to adulthood. Thus, pediatric providers often have a hard time in finding, accepting cardiologists who they can trust, especially if, if they don't have a, a set partnership already with an ACHD center of excellence. And I think that lack of confidence often on the part of the pediatrics provider often sets the stage inevitably for this lack of confidence from the patient and the family from the start, you know, as they're attempting to form that new important care relationship with their new adult cardiology provider. So I think there's a lot of different small pieces that can add up to create difficulties as, as we try to get across this chasm that exists between the pediatric and adult world. Dr. Cohen, I think we would love to hear your thoughts as well. Yeah, I, I agree 100% with, with Dr. Ermis. 
I think I would add that you know, this is a transition time for not only transitioning from pediatric to adult style of care, but a lot of these patients are undergoing a lot of other transitions in their life. This is a time of when they may be moving out of their home and going to college or finding a new job, finding new relationships. So there's a lot of things going on in these young individuals' life at this time. And so they may lose focus on the importance of follow-up in an adult congenital heart disease program and uh, lose focus on what their congenital heart disease is and what it means and why they need to follow up. So I think, you know, as we'll talk about the role of transition, I think is an important aspect for this, in addition to what Dr. Ellis was mentioning, reiterate with these patients the need for continued follow-up. You know, something that you both are talking about is what this whole process is like from the patient's perspective. And Dr. Ermis, it struck a chord with me when you were talking about how time and again, they are being taken care of by providers who aren't comfortable with ACHT, you know, and so they often have to travel long distances to get that expert level of care. And, you know, that came out when we were speaking with Jeremy Keck's wife in one of our earlier episodes and how difficult and challenging it was when they would, for example, go to their local ED and they would have no idea what they're dealing with. And more than that, maybe not even appreciate the complexity of what they were dealing with. You know, it's not the same as everyone else. And so how that might cultivate a level of not necessarily mistrust, but just this, this hypervigilance and, and needing to advocate for yourself and whatnot. And as someone who, at least for now, doesn't have a plan to go into ACHD, you know, from my perspective, it's a complex process in, in all of its various forms. And one of our goals for the series is just to give everyone an appreciation for how complex it is, how to get help for our patients, and just to develop an appreciation for what it's like for them. So I think this is a really important way to set the stage. And speaking of of which, you know, it goes back to the patient, Logan, how about we get started with a case to put all of this together? That sounds like a great idea. So we're going to have our patient. Her name is Jill Smith. Jill is an 18-year-old young woman who presents to ACHD clinic as a new patient visit. She is accompanied today by her mother. She has been referred by her pediatric cardiologist to establish care with an ACHD physician. From a review of her records, you learn that she has a history of tetralogy of Fallot and underwent surgical transannular patch repair at six months of age. Since then, she has clinically been doing well and has not required any other surgical intervention to this point. She does moderate aerobic exercise without limitation, and she has progressed through normal childhood development and is actually about to graduate high school and attend college. You review her echocardiogram that was done prior to today's visit, which shows severe pulmonary regurgitation, but normal biventricular size and function. Dr. Cohen, what do you think are the most important topics to address at this first ACHD visit, both generally, but also more specifically with regards to our patient? Yeah, thanks. So uh, I think this is a good case that is very common when we see patients for the first time in our adult congenital clinic. I think I'd first want to point out that there's a difference between transition as well as transfer of care. So in this case, this person has already transferred care to an adult congenital cardiology site, whereas transition is the continued education on, again, importance of follow-up, taking more autonomy for their care, responsibility for their care. So to me, that's something that can keep continuing, even though this patient has transferred uh, her care to an adult congenital cardiologist. So when I first see somebody like this in my clinic, I kind of have a spiel I give to all my patients. And when I see them for the first time, I think our fellows get kind of tired of hearing this all the time. But I usually start off introducing our program, talking about our adult congenital program, our relationship to the children's hospital, as well as the adult hospital that we're on the same campus with. We talk about where we see our patients in terms of outpatient, as well as sometimes inpatient care, whether they can be admitted to the adult or the pediatric hospital. We talk about where they may have procedures if they need to have them in the future, whether it be surgical, cath-based, or EP-based. So we kind of give a brief description about our program. 
And then the next thing I'd like to ask is I usually will say, well, if you happen to go into the emergency room and the doctor there notices a scar on your chest, what can you tell them about why you have the scar on your chest? And you may or may not be surprised about how many people really cannot tell us a good answer about why they had surgery or what their congenital heart disease is. So we do a lot of teaching the first time we meet people, a lot of diagrams, drawings about what their congenital heart disease is, what kind of things we're going to look for in the future um, in terms of what we're really going to be following, whether it be valve function, rhythm issues. Uh, and then what kind of testing that they should expect on an ongoing basis, whether it be every year, every other year or so, MRIs, echoes, stress tests, so that they and their family, and usually they're accompanied by their mom or their dad or significant other, what, what they can expect moving into the future so they're not caught off guard. The other thing I would mention, especially with female patients, is we talk uh, a little bit about contraception and the safety of a potential pregnancy in the future and what kind of things that we would want to do in terms of preconceptual counseling and testing. And Dr. Armis, do you have any additional thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think Dr. Cohen hit most of the topics. You know, in general, when I think about it, I think of the first thing is just to to sort of get caught up, make sure the patient's caught up on their history and kind of what they've been through. Make sure I understand it because sometimes, you know, just reading through the charts, it's not that you're going to miss something unless you talk about it. And second is to kind of lay out the future a little bit, just like Dr. Cohen said, you know, what to expect from our program, what to expect as far as visits and testing and possibility of interventions or surgeries in the future. But I do think, you know, from my perspective, one of the whole overarching theme of that first visit is to start that relationship and build trust with the patient and with their family. And so one of the things that I try to do is not to rock the boat too much. So not to change sort of plans or therapies that their pediatric provider has had them on, unless I, I have a really good reason for it. But all possible, I try to wait till, till a subsequent visit, just because what I found is trying to, to change too much. You know, they have a big relationship of trust they built with their pediatric provider. And I don't want to harm that because it sometimes harms the relationship I may have with you going forward. Yeah, thank you so much for your thoughts, Dr. Cohen, Dr. Ermis. I love that you highlight this overarching theme of trust and, you know, keeping that relationship with their pediatric provider if they're in transferring care. I think that is really important and has come up as a theme in a lot of our other ACHD talks. I wanted to talk a little bit about something you both alluded to, sort of this idea of different models for transitioning ACHD patients. I think you guys mentioned at some facilities, ACHD patients are primarily cared for in an adult hospital and adult sort of clinics at some institutions, whereas some places there'll be, you know, a transfer of care to an adult ACHD doctor, but, you know, predominantly at a pediatric hospital. Some centers will have a formal transition age, but others that sort of transfer transition age is really variable from patient to patient. Similarly, some ACHD programs have formal transition or transfer programs, while others, it's sort of more of an informal process. So just curious, you know, you guys are both coming from two excellent institutions from different parts of the country. Do you think there's a particular model that works best or are there sort of simply advantages and disadvantages to different models? And I'd love to hear sort of how it is at your program. Dr. Ermis, we can start with you. Great. I mean, I think that's that's kind of the crux of the, to the transition question is, is how to approach it. You know, as I mentioned earlier, I don't think there's a one size fits all approach. I think each program has to sort of look at what their resources are and how their organization is to figure out what works best for them. Although I do think there are some guiding principles that are imperative and important to all programs. 
And as Dr. Cohen mentioned, the importance between the notion of what transition is versus what transfer is. Transition is a pediatric entity. It's something that should start very, very early on. If you look at the transition literature, there's this idea of, quote, envisioning a future. I mean, it really is that even early on, even young children, when you start those discussions with them, you talk to them about their CHD and talk to their families, it's really discussing that they will grow up, that they do need lifelong care. And also those ideas that goals are are really in place to enable them to live, you know, a normal life or as, as much of a normal life as possible. And so I do think having some kind of formalized transition program is is important because it, it normalizes transition, which sometimes is an important concept. So people don't feel like they're, you know, being pushed out of this safety zone of pediatric cardiology that they've some come so accustomed to. And really there's different ages that people start at with, but I think sometimes between the age of 12 to 14 is, is, is generally a good target to start, you know, transition as you're trying to give knowledge to a patient of their disease, knowledge to help them assume more responsibilities as associated with their health care. You know, at Texas Children's, we offer a formal program. We have a dedicated transition nurse, a dedicated transition social worker, and start generally at age 14. The process, you know, as I describe, of knowledge and, and knowledge of assuming some of the responsibilities of their health care. And then about at age 18 or 19, we transfer those patients from the pediatric provider to our ACHD team, albeit still within the same institution, you know, really just moving them upstairs to our, to our dedicated ACHD clinic. And there's obviously advantages of that model. It's easier to keep track of patients. Hopefully, you know, they're less likely to get lost to follow up, although it's still not a guaranteed from that perspective. And they're already comfortable with the care at our institution. And so they don't have to learn the ropes, so to speak, of a new facility. Uh, but there, there's disadvantages too. We, we're, we're functioning within a, a pediatric children's hospital. So those non-cardiology providers, you know, we have to form relationships with our adult providers, with some of our partner institutions. And sometimes that's difficult, you, although we're, you know, we're gradually trying to work on finding those solutions as we move forward. Great. Thank you. That was super comprehensive and really well put. Dr. Cohen, what are your thoughts? I agree with Dr. Ermis. I think there's a large heterogeneity of different programs out there, and each program will have to find their own way of navigating this transition and eventual transfer process that is best suited for their patients. I can say from our institution here, we also have a formal transition program. It's also nurse-led. We have nurses that will start seeing pediatric cardiology patients when they are being seen by the pediatric cardiologist at the age of 16. So we generate a list of those patients each week, and our nurse will assign either a nurse or a social worker to go visit that patient, usually after that cardiology visit. And then they'll go and do transition education revolving around a lot of the topics that we've discussed. We also, for some congenital lesions, we offer virtual reality. So the patients are able to put on a virtual reality headset and kind of go within their art and look at their ASD or look at their pulmonary stenosis and kind of see what the physiology is of that. And then also they can take a scalpel in their hand and kind of try to fix their congenital heart lesion. So uh, that's something that we have just started incorporating over the last maybe 12 months or so. COVID kind of put a little hinder on that, but we're starting to do that again. And patients and family has really had a good uh, response to that. We also encourage our pediatric cardiologists, like Dr. Hermers was saying, to really start the transition educational process at around 14 or so at a younger age. 
And then the actual time of transfer is really dependent. We don't have an age, so to speak, but it's dependent on when the patient, the family, and the pediatric provider generally feel that it's the right time for the patient to move over and transfer their care to the adult control program. Wow, Dr. Cohen, I wish I'd hit you up for your virtual reality module before our single ventricle anatomies and Fontan circuits. It was quite the mind twister, but I mean, just imagine the educational implications of that kind of software. Do you, do you guys use that for education as well? Yeah, we do. It was actually brought one of our pediatric cardiologists, Stephanie Handler, trained out of Stanford. And I think that's where this was developed. And then she was able to bring it out here to Wisconsin as well. So it's used not only for patient education, but some of our residents will have educational days when they're on the cardiology service where they can use the virtual reality too. Some of our fellows, uh, pediatric cardiology fellows and our adult congenital fellow have used it too. Well, sign us up. But getting back to patient care, you know, the, the median age of the patient's IC is probably around 60, you know, give or take a couple decades. So usually their parents aren't in the picture, but that's very much a different scenario here. And I imagine that the parents play a large role in the transition process. You know, in our example, that, that patient's mother did accompany her to the ACHD appointment, which is, again, probably not uncommon. So my question is, how do you see the role of the parents in the transition process and how can they help foster a successful transition for their child? And how do you help them empower their child to become more independent in managing his or her own health? There is a transition in care. There's also a transition happening at home. So Dr. Cohen, what are your thoughts about this? Yeah, I think parents play a huge role in the uh, process of transition and eventual transfer of care to an adult congenital program. I think it's important to remember, as you're alluding to, this is a transition for them as well. Dr. Ermis mentioned before that they've developed this really long-lasting relationship with their pediatric cardiologist and have most of the time developed a really strong trust in that pediatric cardiologist. And so sometimes coming in and seeing a new adult congenital provider can be very anxiety-provoking for them. So I think one of the things that I try to do is make sure I read about the patient's pediatric operative course. I know what their history is because I think parents that come in and you don't know exactly what's going on in their child's care, they can become uh, a little defensive and suspicious of you, and you may have a tougher time gaining their trust. I also think it's important to involve them in transition and try to set goals and expectations in terms of what transition means for the parents as well, in terms of allowing their child to make a schedule in terms of taking their medication or allowing their child to set up appointments for coming back for follow-up in terms of their own schedule. I've run across a whole variety of different types of parents. Some are very hands-off and allow their patient, their child to make uh, a lot of decisions on their own. And some are very good about guiding their children in terms of making this transition. But then others, I think, have a really tough time allowing more autonomy and responsibility for their child because this is just what they've done for the last 18 years. So I think it can be a pretty slow process for some of these individuals. And I think the provider needs to have a lot of patience. And like I said, setting some goals and expectations for the parents and how that sometimes can make it a little more peaceful, I think. Makes sense. Thanks, Dr. Cohen. Dr. Ermans, do you have anything to add? I mean, just to echo what Dr. Cohen mentions, I think parents are vital in the transition process. Sometimes by the time we transfer to the adult side, you know, that sort of how that relationship is going to play out is sort of foundational already. And so I think it's really important in the transition process when you're starting at an early age to properly kind of involve parents in that process because they are transitioning as well, because transition is about transitioning responsibility. And so the parents sort of start off as being the sole managers 
sort of a dictatorship, the sole managers of their young child's care. And then they transition to be a co-manager. They sort of are, are both on the same level. And then they subsequently just transition to sort of be, they're kind of a consultant. The child's managing their own care and the parents are around to help out as need be. And just to see that it's important for them to be able to empower their child because that'll allow their child as they become an adult to be a successful adult, you know, for, for years and years to come. You know, one of the things I wanted to spend some time talking about with the audience are what some of the negative outcomes that can arise as a result of poor or inadequate transitions of care into the adult setting with patients with congenital heart disease. Yeah, I mean, I think as we talked about, the transition period is, you know, is a very delicate period for any child. Even without their difficulties of CHD, it's just a difficult period. And one of the worst outcomes, obviously, that we run into with poor and inadequate transition is that loss to follow-up patient. You know, we often encounter those patients who are in their 30s or their 40s with CHD that haven't seen a cardiologist since they were 18. And sometimes they have serious medical complications that's related to their underlying CHD that if we had known about, we could have acted upon earlier to help prevent some of the, the complications from arising if they had remained in care. You know, additionally, a poorly designed transition can set up the adult cardiologist for inevitable failure, just echoing back to this idea of trust and communication. You know, if the pediatric provider with whom the patient and their family have built this years-long trust express, albeit sometimes subconsciously, express, you know, lack of confidence in the adult provider, that really sets them up for failure and then can trigger a loss to follow-up situation if that patient can't provide or find follow-up that's adequate that they can trust. And then, you know, the final thing that I'll mention as far as things we like to avoid is those discussions, I think Dr. Cohen mentioned a little bit earlier, discussions of these high-risk sort of adulting activities, you know, drugs, alcohol, pregnancy, etc. that patients need to be aware of the, these personal risks that are associated with these activities that they need to really discuss from the pediatric side. And those discussions, you know, oftentimes don't take place. And so that by the time we get to see them on the adult side, sometimes we already see the side effects of those high-risk behaviors that we wish we would have been able to at least discuss earlier on so maybe we can avoid some of the complications that arise. Thank you for that. Yeah, we definitely obviously want to avoid these negative outcomes, but that's easier said than done. Dr. Cohen, what do you see as some steps that ACHD providers can take to both identify and mitigate barriers to successful transition of care? Yeah, I think discussion with our pediatric colleagues, it can start there. So as we mentioned, transition, I think, starts at younger ages, whether it be 12, 14. That's when transition education, I think, should begin in education regarding their general defect. And the need for follow-up is, I think, the most important thing. Uh, loss of follow-up is a huge issue at this age of transition, like Dr. Ermis was saying. And I think from a negative outcome perspective, not only on an individual basis for the patient, but I think it also can be seen in more of a societal way in that these patients tend to have more utilization of ERs, be admitted more often, come to us in you know heart failure, pregnancy, as Dr. Ermis was alluding to, in arrhythmias. So they tend to use more resources than patients that typically will have a good transition process. Actually, our program, we recently published a paper showing that our transition program here is associated with less ER visits, unforeseen cardiac ER visits. So I think that's another huge role for transition programs to help prevent utilization or extra utilization of resources. And to do that, having good conversation with pediatric colleagues and then having a, some type of formal transition process that meets their institutional needs to help lower the risk of a gap in care. 
Great. Thank you so much, Dr. Cohen. Just a follow-up question before we switch topics. Do you think there's any particular aspects about a patient in which you can identify they're going to be sort of high risk to be lost to transfer? For example, you know, their living distance that's far from an ACHD center or anything where you're meeting a patient and you're thinking this person is sort of high risk to be lost to follow-up? Yeah, I think geographical distance, if you clearly, if you look back at some of their pediatric records, whether or not they have a history of missed appointments and such, where they are in life, if they're moving to college, they have other, th- you know, getting a new job, getting new relationships, those could all be risk factors for loss of follow-up. And it's been shown that loss of follow-up can occur in really any complexity. So we think that, you know, maybe a, a simple bicuspid aortic valve with no symptoms, maybe those are going to be the ones lost to follow-up. But if you look at it, 25 to 30% of Fontan patients typically have gaps in care as well. So um, I think it's important to stress at all levels of complexity of adult concern hearts. Great. Thank you. I just wanted to bring up another point. I think that we had discussed earlier when we were talking about important issues to address in transition. I think a couple of you had alluded to this idea of talking to patients about contraception and family planning, particularly young women who are entering sort of their childbearing years. We can start with Dr. Ermitz on this one. You know, how well do you think we do at discussing contraception and reproductive issues with these patients? And do we think the responsibility lies with the pediatric side to sort of initiate this discussion perhaps in the transition time? Or should we really wait until patients are transitioned into the adult setting to talk about it? Yes, I mean, I think it's an important topic. And I think we do, in general, a pretty bad job in discussing it. Partially is because I do think it's a conversation that has to start on the pediatric side. It has to start in the teenage years because we know the longer that we wait to have that discussion, the more risk we are in encountering unplanned pregnancies or other events prior to being able to have that discussion. And so I think it has to be one, a part of a transition program within the pediatric side, and it has to be a routine part of a discussion. I think that's where we often get into trouble is when we don't recognize it as a routine part of a discussion, we have an uncomfortableness of bringing it up. And our families and our patients have an uncomfortableness in talking about it. They feel that perhaps it's a, you know, kind of out of sight, out of mind kind of uh, approach. If we don't talk about it, we don't have to worry about it because it's not going to happen. And we know from literature, we know from experiences, that's just not the case is we have to talk about it. And we talk about it and normalize the discussion about it. So at the first discussion, maybe it's uncomfortable, but by the time we get to the second and third discussion, it becomes something that's routine and that we can discuss. And we know that talking about it can prevent negative outcomes as related to that. So what we do in our program is one, we make it a part of that formalized transition process with the nursing education. But two, we also, as a part of our cardiology obstetrics program, that we have a preconception counseling clinic that's associated with that program. We actually encourage almost in our entirety, all of our female patients who have congenital heart disease to avail themselves of the opportunity to have a clinic visit or multiple clinic visits within that program where they can meet with a cardiologist, a high-risk OB or an MFM specialist, as well as you know a genetics counselor to help that discussion. So if our pediatric colleagues are, are not comfortable talking about it, we say, we well, at any age, you can refer them to this clinic and allow us to talk about it for you to make sure we ensure that that discussion is being had and being had in an early enough way to make a clear benefit as these patients are growing up. 
Thanks, Dr. Ramos. I think it's great that you have sort of a, a really formalized process for it. And I love that you highlight this sort of uncomfortableness, probably on both the patient and provider side of talking about this, particularly sort of in that early teenager years, I imagine can bring up sort of discomfort on both sides. Dr. Cohen, do you think there's any specific training that needs to be put in place, you know, when we don't have formalized pathways for preconception counseling from obstetricians? And this is sort of, you know, on the shoulders of ACHD providers, both on the peds and the adult side. Do you think there's specific training that can help reduce this sort of discomfort in having these discussions? And, you know, additionally, for patients that have very complex congenital heart disease, do you have resources that you use to sort of map out how risky pregnancy may be for these patients? Yeah, I think that's a great question and a really important topic. In terms of training, I think it's just important to remember that talking about sex with patients in front of their families can be a very awkward thing for everyone in the room. And so like Dr. Ernest was saying, I think normalizing it and having this conversation on a routine basis is probably the one of the most important things you can do. And talking about, well, why are we talking about this? And I always will bring up their heart disease. And I'll say something like, we know that women that with heart disease, if they become pregnant, may have a higher risk of things like heart failure or heart rhythm issues. So we want to make sure that it would be safe for this individual to become pregnant at some point in their life if that was something that they wanted to do later in their life. In terms of resources, I think part of our training, I think having the ability to do an adult congenital fellowship or even as general fellows, having that ability to go and talk to their patients about preconceptual counseling, bringing this up, maybe even having uh, dedicated days where they go to a cardiac obstetrics clinic, like I think more and more institutions are forming and having. That's something that our fellow does as well. So I think that helps the fellow or the trainee become more involved in this discussion and makes it a little easier to bring it up. The more that someone does this, I think the easier it is to do. I'm just curious if you had any resources or something that you use or show patients, particularly with complex congenital heart disease and sort of predicting their risk for future pregnancy, seeing as sort of all congenital heart disease patients, you know, are found on a spectrum. There's so much heterogeneity with their conditions. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't say I, I have uh a resource that I show the patients, but I think from a ACHD perspective, there's a lot of different risk stratification schemes out there that we can use. So, you know, CARPREG came out back in 2001, I believe, with Dr. Sue, and that's been updated just in the last couple of years by Dr. Silversides. There's the WHO method. So there's a lot of different risk stratification schemes that I tend to use. I tend to use the CARPREG 2 scheme the most. And as when I'm with my fellow in clinics and with our patients too, we talk about different risk factors from the different schemes and kind of point out what they mean and what kind of risk it means for the patient, each of these risk factors, what it means for the patient. I will say it's also important that, at least from my perspective, nowadays, many women, even with complex congenital heart disease, can get through a pregnancy. They may have a higher risk of heart failure or rhythm issues or such, but the mortality is extremely low for women with congenital heart disease. And I think that's an important thing to discuss with a patient. And I think as Dr. Ermis was mentioning, having your pediatric colleagues start the discussion is also very important. Just as an anecdotal story, we had a cyanotic Fontan that was followed at 18 years of age, who was told by her pediatric cardiologist, you can't get pregnant. And she took that to mean she physically could not get pregnant. So mm -hmm. she was having sex unprotected. And then within six months, she got pregnant. 
So I think it's just important to make sure that you educate the pediatric cardiologist about the ability for these women still that they can get pregnant, that most of them can get through a pregnancy safely, but safe sex practices for a lot of these complex patients, unless they're in the care of a multidisciplinary program, cardiobstetrics program with adult congenital care providers would be important. Yeah, great. Thanks for that anecdotal patient. I think we all get a little nervous thinking about Fontan physiology and pregnancy. So, but stay tuned. We have an episode coming up for that. So before we wrap up, Dr. Ermitz, can you just summarize what you see as sort of the key elements in the successful transition and transfer of patients, you know, through pediatrics and then from pediatrics to the adult side? I think for successful programs, obviously you have to have a program. So you have to have a formalized, somewhat formalized at least process of transitioning. So it's sort of this quote, we transition uh, mentality that everyone goes through this. And that's really even in places that don't happen to transfer their patients. There are some groups that still as pediatric providers continue to hold on to their patients. And I'm not saying that's the best approach or really passing judgment to a large extent on that. But even then you transition because transition is about increasing responsibility in healthcare decisions for the child as they grow up. And so having some kind of transitioning program is important. Secondarily, I think, as we mentioned, I think time and time again, communication is so important. Communication between the pediatric and adult providers, but then reinforcing communication between the providers and the patients and their family. You know, it kind of goes back to Dr. Cohen's anecdotal story is, you know, there was obviously a miscommunication between what was understood on the provider side versus what was understood on the patient side. And that's so oftentimes the case because our Patients aren't understanding things the way that we think they should be understanding what we're saying. And so it's oftentimes they, they need, you need to kind of talk to them and, and have them explain. So you heard everything that I just said. So you kind of tell me what that all means to you. Closing that loop on communication is something we often don't do. And I think at this vulnerable time period in a patient's life, I think that's exceedingly important to do. And also, you know, I think we, to a large point now, need to be somewhat judged based on how well we do transition and transfer. It is a foundational component of taking care of congenital heart disease patients. And it's, you know, there's going back to the 2008, now updated 2018 guidelines on adult congenital heart disease. There's the, the 2011 practice statement on transition. In, in adult congenital heart disease patients. This is something we have to do and we need to figure out ways to make sure we're getting it done. Sure. Well, yeah, thank you so much, Dr. Hermes. I think that information is incredibly useful and very important. Dr. Cohen, do you have anything to add from the Wisconsin perspective now that we've got the Texas version? I think Wisconsin echoes mostly everything that Texas just mentioned. I think, like Dr. Oma said, just acknowledging that this is an issue and teaching colleagues from the pediatric side about early initiation of transition education and eventually leading to transfer of care. And what I will add is that making sure that we're transferring the care of these patients to an appropriate adult provider. Loss of follow-up gaps in care, another risk they have is for these patients to eventually find themselves in an adult cardiology provider that has no experience with adult congenital heart disease, and potentially that can lead to poor outcomes. And there's been studies that have shown that patients with congenital heart disease that don't follow up with an adult congenital heart disease provider do worse. And so I think, again, having the separating out transition education with transfer of care and having that transfer of care being into an adult congenital heart disease program. 
such an incredible discussion. You know, there's so much nuance involved with the transition process. Clearly, we can't let it happen by accident alone or organically. We have to be deliberate and thoughtful. And you both provided so many pearls in the roadmap and how we do this in a way that is sensitive to the needs of the patient, the parent, and also conscientious of their medical needs as well. So let's finish off with the Cardinals Classic. Dr. Cohen, Dr. Ermis, what makes your heart splutter about taking care of ACHD patients? Dr. Cohen. Yeah, I think, you know, going back, I became interested in adult congenital heart disease as a general fellow. I did MedPeds, but congenital heart disease was not the reason why I chose MedPeds. I really didn't know exactly what I would do after my first couple of years of MedPeds, but I gained some exposure to adult congenital heart disease more so when I became a fellow in adult cardiology and the diversity, the heterogeneity of the patient population was really exciting for me that there wasn't just no one pathway in terms of, you know, for acute coronary syndrome, go to the cath lab, pepperonize, you know, it's so heterogeneous and so much variety in how to care for these patients and unknowns on how to care for these patients with a lot of research. So I like to find little niches that I can kind of crawl into and hopefully call myself a specialist in that niche where other people feel comfortable referring these patients to me. So those reasons were the big reasons I went into the Dalkin Heart. No, thanks for the question. Um, it was probably about five or six years ago, I was rotating uh, on service for the week and it was in the pediatric hospital and I ran across this sign. It was probably about this time of year, but it was by the elevators. It said flutter into summer. And it was really disturbing because all of our patients chose to abide by that sign because at the time, I think we had five or six patients in the hospital with some kind of atrial arrhythmia. And so that terminology, I always hate it when I, I see signs like that, because it just reminds me of that instance when our patients, I think for once read a sign and, and were abiding by it. But I wish uh, the same ethos translated into, you know, diet, exercise, you know, exercise in the summer. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> for but me too. I always remembers that. But no, I mean, I think for me, you know, I stumbled across adult congenital heart disease actually when I was in med school. I was uh, at the beginning of my fourth year of med school. I was doing a pediatric cardiology rotation and was actually in a private pediatric cardiology office. And there was these 40-year-olds and 50-year-olds, you know, coming in and being seen. And I was like, what's going on here? And there's two senior kind of pediatric cardiologists who were in the practice and they said, well, there's not really a place for them to go otherwise. And I was like, you know, that's great, but this just isn't sustainable. This isn't something that, you know, can really work on a long-term basis. And that's when I started to explore things a bit more and, and kind of, you know, went through MedPeds and did the combined cardiology fellowship to get to where I am now. And it really is still trying to find a home for these patients who, you know, for so long have been sort of outliers in our medical care system. And that's not just for cardiology patients, that's for all these kind of adult survivors and these chronic pediatric childhood diseases. And we're still trying to fit them as best we can into our medical system instead of trying to, you know, or not often enough, try and design a system to take care of them. And it's a difficult approach, you know, considering that oftentimes they're very small pockets within larger communities. But I think resources like this, like the ACHA, like all of us who find a passion within the ACHD community, you know, we're just trying to take the steps we can to try to achieve that goal. I think there's a long way to go, but I think we've made tremendous progress. And that's what that drives me over time to try to come to work every day and do things like this, to try to take one step closer to getting there. 
Lori, thank you so much. I think the favorite part of all of our episodes are really hearing about why people are so passionate about it. And I think in particular, the ACHD community is just filled with a lot of passionate physicians. So again, thank you so much for everyone for joining. It's such a pleasure to get to hear about your pathways to ACHD and how your expert ACHD facilities are functioning throughout the country. I also wanted to give a big shout out to Logan, who really put together a, a really thoughtful episode for us today. Thank you so much, Logan. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah, I just want to thank again, everyone for being a part of this and for giving me the opportunity as well. My two cents on transition are really, I couldn't agree more with everything that Dr. Hermes and Dr. Cohen had said. I think I'm um, really making this something that is stressed both on the pediatric and then as they transfer to the adult side, actually talking about these issues involving transition of care and really making it formal and deliberate as both Dr. Cohen and Dr. Hermes have said, I think is very important. That's how we're going to get the best outcomes for these amazing patients. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks to everyone for joining. Thank you guys. This is great. Thanks for, you know, all the work y'all do. It is a great project and resource. Yeah, very much. Thank you. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.